I, I think we need to make it painfully obvious to everybody that they're welcome in the concert hall. I'm sure yeah. classical musicians want people to listen to their music, mm-hmm. but we need to make it like... Yeah, well, yeah. We're, we're not a bunch of like weirdos or anything. You know, we're, we're normal people. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I listen to Bruckner. That's, yeah. that's normal. <laughs> Today we have with us this year's Sphinx competition winners for 2022. In the senior division, it's double bassist Kebra Sayon Charles and from the junior division, violinist Jonathan Oksenyuk. Both will be performing at Mesa Art Center as part of the Classical Music Inside Out series tonight, November 10th. The show starts at 7.30. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to another episode of Heart of the Arts. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Hello. Yes, hello. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're a singer as well, I take That's it. Right. <laughs> well, congratulations to both of you. It's so exciting. Um, and this is the first time we've had uh, any Sphinx artists here in the studios. Um, I know they've been part of the Classical Music Inside Out series, and the whole idea is ongoing education, focusing on providing opportunities for Black and Latinx classical String players, correct? Okay. And then you get to have, you get to compete with some of the best. You get mentorship and um, lots of other cool opportunities. So I'll ask both of you this. What are your personal philosophies on music education in the schools, in the communities, since it's had such a big impact, I'm assuming, on both of you? I think You know, the music is really important, especially for children, you know, of young age, um, because for them to experience that at an early age, it's really impactful, you know, going forward and just to enjoy music. So I think my personal philosophy is that we as musicians, we must um, present this wonderful music to the next generation, like constantly, you know, by doing engagements and with playing with other artists such as Kebra and, you know. So it's always a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. I would say that my philosophy is I want to really just deformalize and deconstruct classical music. I think that oftentimes I felt like I didn't quite belong in classical music for whatever That's this reason. Maybe Sphinx like competition winners, I was too double scared bassist Kebra like Charles and violinist on stage Jonathan because of that, like huge boundary. You can hear them perform and at so what I aim to do in schools is just establish the classical musicians as you know another person just walking down the street because essentially like I could be performing at Carnegie Hall and then. In like three hours, I'm on the train with everybody else. I'm Melissa else. Green, host of yeah. KBox yeah. podcast, mm-hmm. Heart and of the Arts. I recently sat boundary. down with the mm-hmm. senior and with junior the division winners of next the two on stage. Oh, rather, I mean, hi, I'm Melissa Green, host of KBox Heart of the Arts podcast. I recently sat down yes, with yes, this yes, year's yes. winners yeah, of I mean, the Sphinx competition. I feel as if classical musicians to hear the full conversation head to Heart of the Arts dot and I think that's actually quite. I think Hi, that's doing I'm a Melissa Green, host of KBox Heart of the Arts the podcast. I recently sat down with the senior division the winner of the Sphinx the competition, double bassist Kebra Sayon like Charles. Mozart, it's so compelling is because we Hi, have like I'm Melissa Green, host of KBox like Heart of the Arts podcast. And, and I recently sat down with the junior division winner yeah, of the Sphinx totally competition, violinist Jonathan Oksenyuk. A group of musicians to hear the full conversation, head to heartoftheartsdotkbox.org. And that's that's a huge thing. Um, with getting, you know, the audience to really enjoy classical music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think some people think, um, well, I've been in public radio. I 
studied music, obviously, but doing this for 10 years and some um, some people say it's too intellectual. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. You know, what would you say to that? Mm, maybe, but <laughs> I mean, what would I say? I would say, nah, that's not true. No. Because like... Sure, you can. I think there are different levels to like enjoying an art form. You don't. There's yeah. no. Uh, for example, okay, I listen to Bruckner Seven maybe like twice a month or something like that. <laughs> and when I listen to it, it's an incredible. It's a very different context. Like sometimes I'll be walking down the street and like listening very intently, and then other times I'm just on the train or like I woke up one morning and I'm cooking breakfast and I'm listening to it as background music. And I think classical music has many contexts. Yeah. And you can enjoy it in whatever way you want, including in a highly intellectual way yeah. or <laughs> not at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the perfect answer. I know, Kebra, that you're now working towards your master's at Juilliard. I actually just finished. Yeah. <gasps> oh, congrats. Thank you. How does that feel? I am super happy. I never have to wake up early again. <laughs> never mind. I will have to wake up early for, for this one. Except for today. Yeah. <laughs> so I want our listeners um, or those who don't already know about your musical background, your upbringing. There's a lovely mix of jazz and gospel and all of these things. Okay. I'm testing it out today. This is a, this is a trial one. I'm trying to coin or rather I am coining a new phrase or derivation of classical music. In my eyes, there's the classical genre, then there's the neoclassical genre, and then what I write, I consider counter-classical music, Mm. which is taking the pre-established norms and then presenting them in a different context and just pretty much flipping them on their head. I think when people listen to my music, they will hear Mozart and Bach if they lived today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm. listen to people like Lil Nas X or whatever. Mm. Although you know, honestly, I, I'm kind of a boomer. I only listen to, <laughs> I only listen to Bach and Mozart all day. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's like that's my jam. Hmm. You know, on Bruckner. Wow. How did being raised by someone who parents? I don't. I think that your mom was more of mm-hmm, an mm-hmm. artist dancer. Yeah. My mom was an African drummer and dancer, and that totally shaped my entire conception of music. I started playing bass when I was 12, but I was around music for my entire life. And Mm -hmm. specifically in that context, or rather in the Jamaican Baptist tradition of music, music is used as more of a community-based aspect. Uh, I think a clear line of demarcation would be, for example, in classical music, if you hear a really cool run that you like, you know, you can, the the norm is to inwardly acknowledge it and be like, that was, that was cool. Or, you know, you can, you can kind of um, do something within yourself, but in the community that I was raised in, if you heard something on stage or you heard a musician play something that you like, you could vocally encourage them and and say that was you know that was amazing or one more time and that's that's something that I desperately want to bring into the concert hall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, my upbringing. Um, so uh, my parents were not musicians. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty much the only one that uh, went into this type of career. Mm. Um, so I was 19 months old uh, when my mom took me to uh, a library concert that the Phoenix Symphony had. Mm-hmm. And that was where I met my teacher. 
um, Jing Zhang, who taught me for 13 years now. So I'm still with her uh, to this very day. Wow. Yeah. So that just goes to show, you know, how important engagement, you know, audience engagement is and, um, you know, these outreaches, how impactful they are upon, you know. Yeah. Um, And then you were... Did you start conducting? Because you're a conductor as well. There was a video on YouTube where you're conducting Beethoven yeah. when you're like three or something. Oh, that's you. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. so cute. You were like so animated about it. Yeah. And I also think introducing classical music at that young age can do so much for uh, your personality, for for all of the skills that you need. Because, you know, you dance before you can walk or you you know you kind of say sing melodies before you know how to you know do all of the yeah and I was really lucky to have such great parents because they realized that at an early age because you know with some some musicians they start you know later yeah or because you know the parents you know don't realize but I was lucky to have great parents so Mm -hmm. when did you did your parents introduce you to Mozart was it an instant love for you yeah um my guy for sure is Bach. He's like he's kind of the goat of all music. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, maybe and it's, actually I don't think it's a, well. The cool thing about him for me is that he just kind of he codified the language of Western classical music, harmony, which I think is like super impressive. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Yeah. But yeah. That's that's who I like. <laughs> and you're mm-hmm. are you a boomer? Like. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. de- definitely. Yes, Def- definitely. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so both of you, Kevra, you've had a lot of awards. There's a huge list here, and I'm just going to— Crazy. I, <laughs> oh, my God. I don't even know. I, yeah, I, <laughs> but you've played, like, all over the world. What what have been some of the most defining moments, or has it been most recently winning the— um, I would say um, the most defining moments for me have not even been playing on stage. It's been— mm-hmm going to concerts and hearing my colleagues and like learning from them. I think the most instructive and inspirational concert that I've had, okay, actually both happen to be performances of Prokofiev's Fifth Symphony. I heard, what is it, Cleveland Symphony play, they have a partnership with Miami, uh, or rather the Adrian R Center, and so they played Prokofiev's Fifth Symphony and I heard it when I was in high school and I was like floored. I was completely blown away and then I played it uh, at Aspen Music Festival when I was in high school. And I, like, there's this huge chord at the end of the entire first movement. And it's like, it's just, I was like, okay, now I know what it feels like to be a part of, like, something huge. And, yeah, it was just, like, so, it was amazing. It was amazing. And I think that feeling inspired me to keep working. Plus, I kind of, like, I like uh, connecting with people and, and going on stage and, like, just acting silly and I think that does wonders for the classical music world mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and Jonathan you're coming back to play with the Phoenix Symphony soon oh, is that correct uh, I'm not sure um but oh. I I uh, no yeah but, uh, I read that you were oh really okay uh, not that I know well, he doesn't know. maybe yeah maybe. surprise yeah I know right um you gotta but, check your g-cal yeah I know right um yeah but uh in December I have a few performances um in december i am playing uh, like a festival concert like it's like christmas music uh with the chandler symphony mm. um yeah mm-hmm. in january i'm doing the tchaikovsky violin concerto with the west valley symphony 
And then in February, I'm going to be playing uh, Mozart's Concerto Number no. Four with the Arizona Music Fest. Oh, nice! So, yes, that's exciting. Yeah. And you performed with West Valley yeah. a while back. Yes. So yeah. all of, is all this kind of feel full circle? Yes. Sphinx yes, it organization. Does. I played. Yeah, I played Inside Out series because that that's mm-hmm. maybe something that you engaged in because that's been going yeah. on for ten years. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I remember um, I played the Zugoyne Horizon um, when I was ten years old. With the West Valley Symphony. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that that was really exciting for me. That was my first. (laughs) (laughs) He's too good. (laughs) I I was, yeah, it was so exciting because that was like my first orchestral performance, you know, Mm -hmm. and that was really impactful for me. So so it was really cool. And it's such a beautiful state to play in. It's got to feel really rewarding. Mm -hmm. Um, Kevra, you touched on it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, the new music you're incorporating into your repertoire. Sure. You know, you talked about being more progressive and um, just ways that you're breaking down those those barriers, those those boundaries. Yeah. So it's not so I think the average or occasional listener just feels so uh, intimidated. You know, people are like, well, if I can't read music or I don't, I don't really know what I'm listening to. Neither do I, dude. <laughs> like, honestly, half the time I'm like, yo, yeah. what was that? Like, yeah. that was crazy. Uh-huh. Um, all, all I, I think all that marks a person who loves classical music is just you have to just say it. You just have to say it to yourself. And you have to have a a a, a curiosity i think mm-hmm. i think that's that's what i found among people who enjoy art yeah they're just like what is that mm-hmm. um yeah like i know i've spoken about brookner two times which is that's way too many I think. <laughs> but um yeah like especially that seventh symphony like i heard it and i was like i have no idea what this is like this is so cool and and you know so i sat down on the piano and just kind of like figured out what was going on for it took like what like three hours but yeah wow even yeah even for like (laughs) us musicians even for professional musicians it takes a really long time to like fully understand Mm -hmm. you know what's going on so like for people to think that we understand everything like that's kind of a lie because we like we are like so far from truly understanding like you know what's even going on Mm -hmm. in like a piece of music so yeah it's really interesting what about new music or Mm -hmm. is is it specifically your compositions so what's crazy is so i you know what i you're right like i think it is progressive and i think it is um breaking down barriers of classical music but also at the same time this is just how i conceived of classical music 10 years ago you know Although I am uh, sort of getting a platform now, mm-hmm. to me it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything new or revolutionary. I'm just kind of hopefully popularizing this connection. I think that – could you repeat your question one more time? Uh, you t- just touched a little yeah. bit earlier on um, – you said there's classical, yeah. you know, the Mozart and then the neoclassical. Mm-hmm. And then you said – Yeah, can, okay, so – yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there yeah. We go. Okay, so Mozart characterized by okay the classical period, very structured, very um, harmonically. Uh, okay, I'll say predictable. I might I might come under fire from <laughs> from, the, from the theorists, but yeah, pre, uh, structured and and, um, and predictable somewhat. 
And then uh, neoclassicists like Rasfigi, Stravinsky, um, and even Prokofiev, and I would say Shostakovich in some right, took that classical form in harmony and advanced it and added their own ideas. And what I do is I take the classical form that is, you know, sonata, sonata form, which is, you know, maybe that's, okay, let me, <laughs> I, take, I take pre-existing forms that people like Mozart and Bach used, mm-hmm. like, for example, dance forms, like the prelude or the gigue, and then I infuse them with stuff that I would hear on the radio. So, or, or things that I would hear when I was growing up at church, pretty much anything that makes me dance. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think a great person, honestly, that influenced my writing is, besides Mozart and Bach, are Steve Reich. Mm. Um, in my opinion, I think minimalist music is parallels house music uh, in its repetitive rhythmic structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's something that I really like. So in summation, I would say counter-classical music is just hopefully artful melding of all the pre-existing structures and ideas within classical music, as well as ideas and structures that we hear on the radio every day. You know, mm-hmm. that's how you that's really how you invite and galvanize a new audience is if you meet them where they're at and then you yeah. present classical music in a way that everyone can understand. But mm-hmm. not I don't think that means that we have to distill it. You know, this this formula of presenting small um, digestible pieces is preceded with people like Monteverdi and his pieces called Scherzi Musicali, as well as Schubert's Song Cycles. You know, people have been doing it for millennia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if all of the different influences has helped, and Jonathan, I don't know if you compose either, but has that helped your uh, your mind kind of develop into becoming a composer? Thinking back to a time when I interviewed Wyclef, and mm. he, because he did this like symphonic tour, but um, when he grew up, he his um, dad was head of the church, gospel music. Yeah. He was trained on like lots of different percussion, drumming instruments, and then of course bass, keys, guitar, and he was trying to you know bring into the classical, the symphony, the orchestra, mm-hmm. like how all of this relates to pop music because he's worked with like Shakira and Carlos Santana. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So have have has all of that melding helped you become a better composer? I think it helps. Yeah, I think in a short answer, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but I draw a lot of my, you know, like, wouldn't it, I think it would just be, okay, for example, like, a tripod is so stable because it has three legs, it has three facets in which it connects to the ground. I think my music would be, or would be, or is so engaging because it has so many roots in different genres. And that's what helps set your sound apart from mm-hmm. other and how would you say your sound is set apart from other violinists or Oh that's that's a great question. To be honest, I think I'm still I'm still searching, you know, yeah. obviously for a sound, you know. I'm only 16, so Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's you know, it's a little early to determine that, but of um, course. you know, like for composing though, um I look to Paganini. 
his caprices. Um, he wrote very virtuosic and very difficult caprices to play, and I'm I th I believe I'm inspired um, to write you know my own caprices for, because he like set the bar um, for you know the preceding years and stuff like that. So that's really inspiring uh, for me to just look at his you know work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also wanted to know about the competition and just the word competition in general with the F Sphinx Ooh, organization. No, I'm, joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Well, I mean, I, I'm 33. I feel like the younger couple generations have a different view of competition. And sometimes everyone, especially mm. when it comes to music, and yeah. everyone's got their own personal opinion. For sure. When I talk to really young, young kids and performers, like they love it. But what do you like, dislike, love about that this experience that well, you Well, I think had? Sphinx is different from every competition I've ever done because, you know, when I, when I won, they're like, you're in the familia now. And it's like, actually pretty true you know i think winning this competition has connected me with a plethora of musicians that i would have worked with at some point in my career but it's sort of jump-started and and helped me you know connect yeah. almost instantaneously to people like jonathan yeah mm. um and i i think you know starting at such an early age is great because you know you can have these experiences and then you can go on later in life and have the same experiences and, you know, you can learn from the past experiences and then, you know, so you got this whole thing going on. And then Sphinx just really helps connect young people together. And I think that's really special, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. because there are not many people like us, you know, in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's that's unfortunately. really special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Listen, unfortunate. yeah. if you're a person of color listening, go play some classical music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that my next question was just about social media and how you might be trying to reach younger audiences, yeah. et cetera. I was talking with Zul not too long ago. He's really good friends with Awadajan Pratt, the pianist. Yes. And he said, I mean, this was probably – 20 or 30 years ago and how he approached the stage without a tux and and just his his look and he That's just was yeah. you know so how is how is that happening now are you incorporating that are you is it different now that you have social media to mm. reach different audiences or younger generations do you have social media Jonathan yeah well I have Facebook <laughs> yeah I have Facebook, Facebook. <laughs> you are a yeah. I know I'm off hey, Facebook yeah no, yeah. Um, you know, with the social media thing, I think it's really, um, it really helps with the kids, especially. Because, like, you know, after our engagement, you know, the kids were coming up and, like, asking for Instagram and stuff yeah. like that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I so would... that really helps because they can, you know, take out a phone or something and they could like, follow us. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, see what we're up to. And, like, they they can be inspired just, you know, by picking up their phones or, you know. And that's, you know, that's a great thing, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The question for me and, and, and what I'm um, sort of figuring out is how do you translate followers on social media into people who will actually come out to see a concert? But I think mm -hmm. that's something that that's kind of a, a resounding or, or, yeah, resounding refrain that I've been hearing from artists in general is how in this time of, quote, post-COVID, how do you how do you incentivize people to leave their house to go see <laughs> yeah. it. And, like, you know, I I like staying at home and listening to some Brooke. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Yeah. What about Mahler? Do you ever um, throw a I, Mahler symphony? I do, in but there? you know, he's he's a little too emo for me. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Mahler's good, man. No, he's good. Yeah, like he's I just gotta be you know, it's gotta be raining, it's gotta be foggy, and uh, I had to like have dropped my keys down a well or something. <laughs> well, the problem is here, it's always uh, clear, yeah, so. clear skies here. So. Yeah. That's a problem. Um, and then what about the conversations that have been going on, I think, more and more over the last like three to five years about there not being enough black composers mm. and musicians being rep- represented. And this question, obviously, for both of you, because everyone, I, I talked to um, Rachel Barton Pine. I don't know if you've worked <laughs> with her since she does a lot of, she's on the Sphinx board and um, her new album featuring violin concertos by black composers. Part of my thinking is we don't have the recordings. Exactly. Like we can't put it on the radio or put it out there because we don't have enough recordings yet. That's why Randall Goosby's so important right now because he just he just did Florence Price's symphony. Like you know, we need to sorry, uh, violin concerto. Yes. Yeah, we need to we need to. You're right. Get these recordings out there. Mm Hmm. I think that's that's one of the the main issues. And having um, Rachel is doing an amazing job of mm-hmm. bringing it to live performances and concert halls. But I was just curious your opinion, because there are some people who from my generation, your generation, who don't want to tune in because they're tired of mm-hmm. Mozart and Bach. They, they think... I get it. I get it. Listen, I get it. I get so, it. Um, <laughs> Okay, so actually, can you mention for our listeners where uh, they can follow you on social media? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, you can go to Google and just go- <laughs> and Google no, my name. That's funny because I Googled your name and your yeah. Instagram popped up. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, you can do that. But also, it's Contrabass Keb, K-O-N-T-R-A-B-A-S-S-K-E-B, on both Instagram and TikTok. Although, I, I'm not going to TikTok. Like, I'm not cool enough yet what but no. you have the coolest outfit on yeah today. I have a great outfit you're on. so polished and <laughs> yeah. i could totally see you on tiktok but the thing is now like i was asked recently how can you make it fun for gen z how do you make it fun i, I don't have yeah. the answer but there's um there's this one I think guy gen z has the answer we have to just get them in the door yeah yeah i think you just like you said meet them where they are yeah. the classical music inside out series is all about meeting people where they are you have to bring it to them you can't say hey just come over yeah. to the to the symphony mm-hmm. and check it out you have mm-hmm. to you have to meet them yeah i guess that's that's the only answer um but there's been there's this one guy on tiktok who has millions of views and he'll basically act like if you're in, you know present day if beethoven were at the club mm-hmm. uh, yeah you... i love that i love that yeah <laughs> I mean, I but think that doesn't get Gen Z to the symphony. Like, no, said. it doesn't. Um, OK, there's a multi pronged approach, in my opinion, my humble opinion. Um, OK, one, we need to it, I think if I had to distill it to three things, programming, concert, concert rituals. Yeah. Ritual. What did you say? No, like concert attire, you know, yeah, like concert, yeah, exactly. That's, exactly. Yeah, that's huge. Can you expand? Yeah. Well, I think. We should another uh, hot take. Let's just let's do it with all black. Let's also do away with the tuxes. I'm not wearing mm-hmm. a tux to my concert, and uh, right. I rarely wear 
all black, you know. I think it harkens back to my previous point of encouraging individuality in classical music because that's how... Okay, imagine imagine if you were, for example, in the Phoenix Symphony, imagine if people viewed orchestra like a baseball game where they were like, yo, who's your favorite member of the viola section? Like, yeah. my num- mine is number yeah. six. Oh, yeah. You know, like, and, and you could that. really identify with a specific player. Although, you know, it's a, it, the whole point of an orchestra is to come together to make one sound. But, you know, there's still individual people in there and they get their moments to shine. I think we have to acknowledge them. And then... So, so I think concert dress is a huge one. There's been several times when I've gone and, you know, I have, I have a lot of piercings and, you know, I've gotten weird looks because, you know, th- there's a certain preconceived notion of who listens and plays classical music mm-hmm. in my experience. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think we just need to, I, I think we need to make it painfully obvious to everybody that they're welcome in the concert hall. I'm sure yeah. everybody, you know, classical musicians want people... To listen to their music, mm-hmm. but we need to make it like we need to like. Yeah, well, yeah. we're we're not a bunch of like weirdos or anything. You know, we're we're normal people. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I listen to Bruckner. That's yeah. that's normal. Not weird. At all. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's true. You know, some people think you know we're just like in our own zone and like we do our own things, but like we're just regular people. You know. We love sports and we love like doing, you know, other things. Who are some of your other influences outside of classical artists um, or 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 athletes? Maybe my best friend, um, he does a lot of jazz, so I um, I really love just like taking out the violin and just start just starting to you know play with him or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know I always do classical music and then every time I go over to his house, you know, we just jam and do jazz. So. That's, you know, that's that's like a mental break for me, you mm-hmm. know, just to, like, experience, like, You need one. Genres. This guy is so <laughs> good. Like, okay, you <laughs> yeah, know. I saw him conducting when he yeah. was, like, two years old. It was so cool. Okay, just the, uh, I'm going <laughs> to just praise you for a second. There, so first rehearsal, I just finished an audition, so I was, you know, being a professional musician, you got to, like, essentially you have to have, like, 20 things in the oven at the same time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it takes a while for everything to get kind of settled into place. First rehearsal, guns blazing. <laughs> um, you know? Yes. Yeah, I was like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, man. Yeah. Jonathan, do your parents, did your parents like classical music before you got into it? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, yeah, I think so. Um, but obviously they listen to like other types of genres, especially like, you know, jazz, you know, pop maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, they liked classical music because um, my grandfather especially, he loved classical music and he loved to collect CDs and stuff like that. Mm. So yeah, that was, yeah, that's really nice. So uh, I want to wrap this up by talking about tonight, mm-hmm, the performance. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to be you, fun. Yeah, yeah it's going to be actually, exciting. Yeah. You said guns blazing yeah, guns. on the first rehearsal. <laughs> yeah. So what can we can you give us uh, any little teasers about what we're gonna hear? You'll the first piece you will hear is um, a piece that I wrote. Uh, it's my first invention, invention number mm. one. Uh, Bach inspired. Exactly Bach, <laughs> and uh, uh, interestingly enough, um, Bartok wrote a set of inventions called Microcosmos. Uh, an- they're like another progressive set of etudes, okay. but I raise them from bass and violin, and um, yeah. So it's it, the first piece will be my invention, which will be sort of an amalgamation between Bach, Mozart, Stravinsky, and gospel in a way. 
And then the second piece is Bartok. And then you're playing after that, right? Yes. Um, I'll be playing the Fritz Chrysler Tambourine Chinois. It's like a Chinese piece, and he uses, like, the pentatonic scale to, like, compose the piece. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, a lot of Chinese traditional music in that. And then after that, uh, to finish the first half, uh, I'll be playing the Zigan by Ravel. It's it's the piece w- which has, like, the huge, the large cadenza um, in the beginning. And then the piano uh, accompanies you at the end, and it's really fun and exciting. Mm. So, yeah. Then there's some stuff in the middle. You got to come see it. Yeah. Uh, another <laughs> cool piece that we're playing is Xavier Foley's Cranberry Juice. Yeah. Um, that's a really cool piece. I think uh, second time it's being performed here. People who love classical music and love Bach and Mozart will also dig this piece. He's an amazing composer and bassist in sort of the same vein as myself, Edgar Meyer. And then we're playing a really cool piece called Passacaglia, which is a virtual, it's like, it's like fireworks nonstop, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome, and mm-hmm. so, and how's your experience? Have you been, you've been everywhere. Yeah. And I know Jonathan's from here, so what is your experience with the Inside Out series, with Zool, all the people you've worked with, what, what do you like about it? So inspirational, like, you know, I, I consider myself uh, I'm I'm still learning, even though I just graduated from, with my master's from Juilliard. I, I still feel as if I'm at the very beginning of my career. Obviously, Juilliard prepared me for, you know, they gave me the tools, but I think it's up to me to, to utilize yeah. and figure out how to make use of those tools. Yeah. yeah. Um, and everyone at Mesa Art Center is just, like, awesome, awesome. Yeah, awesome. and this is my first time really, like, working with the an artist that has, you know, flown out to Arizona or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's really inspirational because, you know, you get to work with, you know, different kind of, different, all sorts of different kinds of artists throughout, you know, your career as a musician. And, like, at an early age, for me, at 16, um, you get to, you know, really understand, you know, what goes behind the scenes and, you know, just to prepare for a concert, you know. It's really important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. A lot of... So, uh, Another another cool part of like deformalizing classical music in my opinion is normalizing, you know, there's this like this conception of classical musicians as just like being innately talented. Mm-hmm. Maybe or rather definitely some people have just that innate talent. Mm-hmm. Jonathan over here. Yeah. <laughs> well, when did you start? I started when I was 12, but like I would not classify myself as as uh, a wunderkind, as like a innately talented person. I would, in fact, say that I'm here because I spent so much time at my craft. Mm-hmm. And something I, I really want to do is show classical music as like the truly meticulous and like thoughtful art form that it is at the highest level mm-hmm. yeah and maybe you can add each of you add a little bit to this we were talking about the inside out series being here in mesa for 10 years mm-hmm. and how um zool now you know is friends with these adults who 10 years ago they were in middle school or whatever and how it basically um enriches the community and he can tell maybe there's a difference if someone didn't grow up exposed to the arts mm-hmm. so do you have a th- comment on that about how here's a community that grew up with no m- maybe just not even like the orchestra but just like no arts and fine arts yeah how would you say it it 
enriches a community? Well, I would say they tend to appreciate other types of music more because classical music probably to them is like like an extreme, like mm-hmm. an extreme mm-hmm. of like that. totally yeah, totally different, uh, totally different genre of music. So if they're exposed at an early age. They may uh, they may be more um, acceptable to different types of music, and they they'll learn to like appreciate, you know, different types of art forms as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's about who we value in society. Mm-hmm. I think that we uh, a community, and this is conjecture. This is based on you know anecdotal evidence, but mm-hmm. I think that when a community is exposed to classical music. They tend to not only appreciate the art form, like Jonathan was saying, but also appreciate the people who make it. It's like, you know, again, back to the harkening back to the fact that there are actual people who make this sort of music. And it's yeah. we need to value them as <laughs> as integral parts of this society. Yeah. And I thought about that because you were mentioning how. You know, you just were so dedicated and it's kind of that day to day input and you don't get to see all the fireworks right away. And sometimes I think that's what. Or at all. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's something that maybe younger generations are missing out on Mm -hmm. just because of instant gratification Mm and uh, certain addictions to. I mean, again, I don't have all of the evidence, but. When you talk about that day-to-day practice or doing something for hours and hours and then over years you get to see this amazing product, I mm-hmm. also think that's something that needs to keep being brought to schools, yeah. communities. We need to contextualize the the art form as something that can be, like I was saying, can be enjoyed in, in a plethora of ways. And I think... Once people let go of their preconceived notions about how to enjoy it and, you know, who makes it, who listens to it, people will be will, – will easily gravitate towards the art form, I think. You know, I would actually, like, change the subject. Like, what if someone, like, dedicated their entire life to, like, classical music and never, like, experienced other genres mm. of music? Like, that okay. could be another – yeah, that could mm-hmm. be a totally different scenario. So I think, like – exposing yourself even like for to say like jazz musicians just to come in and play at like you know symphony hall you know like those partnerships where the orchestra plays different types of music that's a you know that's a whole nother experience yeah yeah. and there's been talk about there's a woman she's in the south but she has a a show called bach and beyonce or something Mm -hmm. like that so i'm sometimes i think which i'm you know would that ever happen on a station i sure hope so okay (laughs) so do you know that the artist d'angelo so um I don't think so. So, you know, you know, yeah. okay, okay. I so. Yeah, right. I know, right? <laughs> okay. So, the art I find some very so there's a song called Really Love and I find some clear clear through lines of compositional technique between pop music, specifically that piece and uh as I referenced earlier, Monteverdi's Scherzi Musicali, just in like the 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 strophic and repetitive nature of the the chords you know mm-hmm. i think another another hot take <laughs> i think <laughs> i think that my favorite period of music is classical and baroque and earlier because that's when people were actually dancing to the music and that's mm-hmm. when it when the composers and musicians 
we're we're making music for people to dance to. Not not that uh, any other uh, genre or rather period of classical music is any less valid, but I really identify with music for dance. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I would just say, um, like, how many times um, has, like, Beethoven's Ode to Joy been used in, like, mm-hmm. pop songs and True. stuff like that? Yeah, so, like, it's a just a never-ending cycle mm-hmm. of, like, just, you know, people just uh, experiment, uh, experimenting with just different uses of, you know, forms. And That's true. Like I mean, yeah. and, and people don't even, in the same way that I am in, influenced by uh, pop music, Pop music is certainly influenced by classical music. For yeah. example, Ode to Joy or even Ave Maria from or the mm-hmm. Well-Tempered Clavier. Or how many times have, have people heard, you know, Bach Cello Suite 1? Yes. You know, that's yes. like classic. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Morning mood. Everyone yeah. loves. Everybody loves. Everybody loves Grieg. <laughs> yeah. And, and lastly, I'll say again is um, changing the way. I mean, stories about when Franz Liszt was doing a little house show or a Felix Mendelssohn performance where audiences did get up and clap and say play that again or whatever so and again that kind of goes to the mission of the Inside Out series is being able I saw a conductor um, in my hometown in Nebraska and he was doing the planets by Gustav Holst and like halfway in between he like jumped around and like started talking to the audience just because it was like at this really I don't know if it was after Jupiter or or it was after (laughs) Mars or it was some yeah one of the intense moments and he just shouted something and I thought it was so fun and I was like that's good that that needs to happen more and I love the idea of everyone just kind of Obviously, people, it's fun to get dressed up and, and go to any kind of show. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. I think there have been artists who've been just trying to be- break that um, that boundary, as yeah. you, you yeah. say. And I think that's important. And I hope that it continues through this program because mm-hmm. I feel like these younger and younger artists are going to be the ones to do it yeah well i was just gonna say you know music back then wasn't as formal as we like portray it now because i think and we're supposed to be upsetting the older generations that's how it is with all the other genres you know that's jury's still out for me i don't even know how to even tackle that (laughs) but (laughs) give me give me like five years i'll come back and we'll talk about okay (laughs) Yeah. yeah the performance at 7 30 tonight mesa arts center you guys are amazing, and I'm glad that we got to chat. And I hope it's not the last time. Yeah, yeah I'll be Hopefully. back. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be back. See you. Well, I'm staying for now. So, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have plenty of um, opportunities to see you both. So, thank you again thank for you. coming, and thanks thank for getting you. up early. <laughs> thank you. That's this year's Sphinx competition winners: double bassist Kebra Sayan Charles and violinist Jonathan Oxenyuk. You can hear them perform at the Mesa Arts Center tonight as part of the Classical Music Inside Out series. The concert begins at 7.30. For more information, head to mesaartscenter.com. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green. I'm Melissa Green, host of KBOX podcast, Heart of the Arts. I recently sat down with the senior and junior division winners of the... 
Hi, I'm Melissa Green, host of KBOX Heart of the Arts podcast. I recently sat down with this year's winners of the Sphinx Competition. To hear the full conversation, head to heartofthearts.kbox.org. Hi, I'm Melissa Green, host of KBOX Heart of the Arts podcast. I recently sat down with the senior division winner of the Sphinx Competition, double bassist Kebra Sayon Charles. Hi, I'm Melissa Green, host of KBOX Heart of the Arts podcast. I recently sat down with the junior division winner of the Sphinx Competition, violinist Jonathan Oksenyuk. To hear the full conversation, head to heartofthearts.kbach.org.